0: Hey everybody. My name is Alec, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio now, thanks everybody who've been listening to all my episodes lately. I've noticed there's been a huge kick up kick in listenership, so if you're new, welcome um also I'm sorry, <laughs> but today i wanna to talk about i wanna talk about something interesting and it's not necessarily a single show. Because I want to talk about the thing in general, but it's not it do doesn't—it's not really an industry thing. It's a specific show-by-show show thing. And so I'm not going to do it as a Sunday Edition thing. I have a different Sunday Edition that I have planned in my skull. Uh, I will probably record in bed the way I have been doing lately because I'm working on another project that I would be very excited to tell you about once me and its other creators put it out, but until then, I'm going to keep my lips zipped. (laughs) But... Today I want to talk about... a little occurrence, Um I'm going to focus specifically on one show, but I'm going to jump around a little, because it's a big, wide occurrence, so to speak. And that is... Marvel Anime. Those of you who remember the early 2000s, you probably remember the kind of peak of the anime bubble, so to speak, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, like the anime bubble, you can actually go listen to a previous Sunday edition where I talked about the the anime into like the basically the American, but pretty much global probably anime industry crash of like the twenty tens, mid two thousands. And the thing I wanna talk about here is in that bubble there was a the, the anime caught on in like a un in like an unforeseen way. Like it it started to become mainstream pretty rapidly and one of the things that happened in that process was Marvel made the decision of, okay, we should, instead of, like, cribbing from anime or cribbing from Japanese culture, which um, some of Wolverine's storyline involves a lot of that, we should just license out our properties to produce anime. There's, um... The show on Disney Plus right now that I think is probably the latest greatest version of that. There's also um, a just released, I think just released, three um, D just looks a little janky. Thing um, on Netflix called Armored, called Iron Man Armored Adventure. Um, there's also I think the thing on Disney Plus is an Avengers thing of some kind. From like a weird side, not side character, but not superhero angle of perspective. I haven't checked that out yet, but I, it's just like, eh, eh, but so anyway, they did a bunch of projects and it started with, um, it started with a Gwen Stacy manga, like collection of Gwen Stacy manga volumes. I think there might have been three to five of those. And those didn't do too well because people would pick them up, and they were like they were decently good looking, but they it was like this weird slice of life of a character you didn't really need slice of slice of life of, from what I understand. And it's just it like it's like Spider Man it. it I remember seeing and feeling like, oh, Spider-Man is just, like, just to the left of frame of every panel, right? Like, that's what's happening here. But then they, then at some point in, like, the 2010s area where they start producing what they call, like, Marvel colon anime X-Men was one of them. And, or Marvel colon anime Wolverine was another one. The one I want to focus on, though, is because I find it the most odd, I guess is the way I would put it, is Marvel colon anime Iron Man. And the reason why I want to focus on Iron Man is a particular affinity for Iron Man that I have since I I've talked about this before. I am very noticeably physically disabled but I am capable of probably more than you are, (laughs) to be perfectly honest. And I, because I have grown up, I've grown up in the bot, in the version of the body that I have now. I've grown up with this disability. So in the way that you use two arms for everything, because it's just what you do, I use one. And that, and like, you may look at me like, holy shit, that's incredible. But to me, it's not incredible. It's, just it's just me it's not it's not even really a condition of my survival it's just what has been it is my normal but something that lots of pe- lots of fully able bodied people don't really don't really they notice but they don't they can't they don't identify with because they can't is that people with disabilities have a lot of equipment. <laughs> and part of that is because that equipment, in many cases, helps us be the entire amount of a person, be the entirety of what we want to be. And it's not about, at, after a certain point, it's not about meeting able-bodied people where they are, it's us getting to where we want to be. And what I mean by that is when you see somebody in a wheelchair, it's not necessarily just because they want to be able to you know sit in their wheelchair next to somebody standing on a train platform so they can participate with other people. It's because they want the freedom of the freedom of movement they want it a common misperception of disabled people. Is that they only want to be normal, and that's not true. No one, no one aspires to normalcy. That's not a thing that people truly aspire to. Even when a disabled person says, "I, w- I just want to be normal," even when a person says, "I just want to be normal," they they want that because it's denied them, and they want that because they want that base level to go to go on from. And as a little kid, growing up wearing a leg brace that I had to wear, or else I would just snap my ankle off right off the bottom of my leg. Um, there was something I identi- that I identified with when I watched the old nineties, the old nineties Iron Man cartoon, and you know he wore armor too. And that's a, that's a, that's a thing that most people, like, most people can't say I identify with the, you know, Iron Man waking up and putting on the armor and going out to, like, face the world, face the badness of the world, but nonetheless, I, that's what I did every morning. I woke up and I put a leg brace on because it helped me face the world, it helped me do what I needed or wanted to do, and then something really, something really odd happened, because I, I'm not, I wasn't born disabled. I was born a normal kid, and the reason I am disabled is because I'm a two-time childhood cancer survivor. And if you have any idea of what that entails, you know that I have undergone a lot of surgery and I have undergone two not one but two rounds of chemo. And that means that I at some point had what they call a port. And ports can be anything from something called a broviac, which is like a vent which is basically like a of a, a vein system that they put into your body and it has one vein, like vein, like tube that comes out. That's usually medically taped, like in place. And lots of times, well, I had one of those when I first when I first had my chemo treatment, where it came out of my back like a tail, almost. And I, I about about midway down my back in the center, I have a small white scar from when I was a little kid. And that is the that is where the Broviac was. But if you were to see me with my shirt off because either we're at the beach or we're getting saucy, um <laughs> you'd also notice that I have two pretty much identical scars on my chest. Like almost like I had been like rammed through with two spears at the same time. Just like shink. And those are from Portacast. And what Portacasts are is they're a more, they're a more compacted version almost of a Broviac, in that they are about the size of a silver dollar and they fit just below the skin, and that's the place where they inject the chemotherapy drugs. Which, if you're curious are not easy to find out what they are because I did a science report on them in, like, my junior year of high school, and the only place I could find... which, graduated a long time ago. This is, may, may have changed. I hope it's changed. The only place I could find out what they were without paying for it was on Wikipedia. <laughs> so, they're big, bad, fucked-up drugs. Like, it, I've... My family members, including me... <laughs> been known to call chemo janitor and a drum, because that's basically what it is. It's not not always super specific about what it cleans, but it fucking cleans. And when the first Iron Man stuff started coming out, I was a much younger person, and I had... I, I had one scar on my chest and at the time I believe I had a portacath in. Which means I had a little bump that was like a... It, it was almost like you took a dollar, a silver dollar size circle on my chest and like raised it up out of a like out of a um, 3D modeling program and then like put a sheet of skin over it. Like a Red sheet of skin over it. So, like, it was, like, it was, like, a quarter being pushed through a rubber... through th- th- from the bottom through, like, a rubber sheet. And... the thing that was true is that Iron Man also had a port cat He had... it wasn't, like, this little thing on his chest. It was this big circle in the middle of his chest. And it was... And once again, I found myself identifying with Iron Man. And so I've always been really... I've always really paid attention to the way the character portrayed when it comes to Iron Man. And in the case of... In the case of the Marvel anime X-Men stuff they did, it was like a very specific like, super action-oriented treatment of the X-Men that felt like it was mostly on base, but mostly, like, it, the Japanese creators of that show attempting to make those characters as cool as possible in their heads. This is very, and that's very similar to, um, the, and I talked about it, uh, four episodes back. No, um, five, six, I think, episodes back in the feed, in whatever you're using to listen to me right now. But uh, Batman Ninja Treatment is kind of similar. They, they certainly didn't, like, turn the Japanese influence all the way up on it, on the properties, but in terms of Wolverine and and the X-Men thing, they, it was very much X Men is seen through the creators of that sh- of th- through those creators, and not X Men necessarily as tailored as they used to as they usually would be from in house Marvel, and that was interesting. But the kind of freewheelingness to American culture that doesn't always exist in other countries, and that's hard to capture. And in the Iron Man version, what that translates to is it translates to how American do we make this story, and how and how do we portray this, like, combination of Elon Musk and, like, war profiteer and, like, all this other like quintessential American entrepreneur warring at war with the world bad boyness that Tony Stark is because the thing about the thing about Iron Man is if you and this is gonna someone's gonna fucking find me for this, I'm sure I've enough listeners where that could happen now, Jesus, but if you put and this is. Part of the reason why, they, why the characters fit so well together. If you put the, like, personality Spider-Man in robot armor and make him fly, that feels a lot like what Iron Man build felt like at the time of the making of these things. It's not always what Iron Man has felt like. I, um, another cool little tidbit about me and Iron Man is I have a prosthetic maker. Who makes my brace? Who makes and maintains my leg braces? Currently, he is probably one of the best prosthetic makers in the United States, Pro- and he's one of the only ones in like the tri-state area who seriously is worth a damn. No question that. Like, you can go, you can go online, and you can get a prosthetic arm, or you can go to Lou in Morristown, and you can just get one. out uh, like. A crafted, customized, beautiful thing that does everything you want and need and more. And that that's what he is. He is he is the equivalent to me of Wenry to Ed without the romantic angle. <laughs> he is like my mechanic, so to speak. And and I call him that often in my head. I'm like, oh my brace broke. I need to go see my mechanic. But he is also a avid collector of original comic book pages, which if you know anything about collecting original comic book art, you know it can get super expensive, which makes a lot of sense because he's a friggin' doctor who, who is one of the best prosthetic and brace makers in America. Probably verging on the world, honestly. But... So he had the money to do this and one of his big moments of I want to collect these and the thing <laughs> I'm sure he did this for a tax write-off one of the big series he collects is original Iron Man pages and to give you an idea it, the way Robert Downey Jr. looks in the in the Marvel Cinematic Universe before they Murdered him because he was... Because it was a good story beat, but also because he'd been out of contract for, like, the past five movies and it was getting pricey, yo. (laughs) Um, He was... He was... his, His look was really close to the look of the original version of Iron Man. The original version of Iron Man looks a lot more his... Like... Spanish than the current Tony Stark looks, but it got really close. <laughs> like like they they're actually pretty close. Like goatee except like no connect like it was a beard and a disconnected like pensly mustache. It almost felt like a combination of like Iron Man currently and Howard of Tony Stark currently and um Howard Stark currently and like meet that in the middle if that makes any sense so like I I have all these connections to Iron Man in my life basically and he is seriously he's always been one of my favorite superhero characters I would actually take him over Batman who is Batman's just a bad dad y'all Like, that's what it boiled down to, ultimately, is, like, Batman may have created more problems than he solved, honestly. But the... There's lots of aspects to the character of Tony Stark and how that informs the character of Iron Man. And... The Rise of the Technovore, which I think is what they call um, the Marvel Iron, the first Marvel Iron Man series. I think there was like a OVA, a couple OVAs or something in there. Was it got almost there, but it doesn't. The thing about the Iron, the thing about the Iron Man, the way they've handled the Iron Man property is he always has to make some sort of emotional ju- not journey but progress in every in every iron man property like in the big the big emotional progress he makes in the first iron man is in the first iron man movie at least is he decides i'm not not only am i not going to be a war profiteer anymore. I'm going to. Not. I'm going to. Do my best. To deal with the. Fucked up universe. I have helped create. And. That's why he goes and like. Intercepts his own missiles. And shit. Um. In. The second one. He. In it In the second Iron Man. He like. Deals. With daddy issues, basically. In... The third Iron Man, he deals with the fact that he has fucked... That he has been such a fucked up, mildly... More than extremely dickish human with too much money for so long that he had... That there are tons of people he fucked over who have become obstacles for the world because he fucked them over. He he the long and short of Iron Man 3, if you've never seen it, spoiler alert, A, is basically he's an asshole to someone who is just trying to like make a professional connection because that person is a disabled, slightly nerdy like non-tech broy scientist and like strands him on a roof in like the 80s and that comes back around to that dude just being a fucking supervillain and and lots of people hate that movie but what that movie is about is about dealing with your past and the thing about the, like, emotional growth journey that Iron Man, that, that not Iron Man, but Tony Stark, and I'll get to why I'm focusing on Tony Stark instead of Iron Man here, that Tony Stark makes in those movies is very specific and very... and it's always built upon. Like, but... To the extent we're at the end of I, of Tony Stark's existence in the cinematic universe, at least for now, I guess is he's he's the one who sacrifices himself. He's the one who makes the sacrifice. Where when he's in the the Tony Stark we met at the beginning of the first movie would have never done that. That like that. Candle had that thing in him had not existed before that movie. And yes, he still has like the dickish traits. Yes, he's still like a mild asshole, but he's not, he's not like the womanizing. billionaire, playboy, you know, held up by the fact that he can, like, recite all the numbers of pie while drunk kind of person. He's not... By the time he reaches... You reach Avengers Endgame, he is someone who understands his own intelligence and understands that that is not his... That is nothing that he needs to be so proud of as to lord it over everyone, that that everyone has the possibility of contributing to saving the world, basically. And with that that journey, which is done actually pretty tightly over, like, 12 movies or something, does, is it means that if you're going to release something, it's difficult to catch that character in the middle of that and write them the way they wrote Tony Stark in the in the Rise of the Technovore Marvel anime thing. This is a this is less of a problem with like the Wolverine and the X-Men thing because Wolverine is like nine zillion years fucking old and he's just it it like You either write Wolverine right, or you write Wolverine wrong. There's a gradient scale in the middle, but for the most part, that's just kind of it. And the X-Men thing is you're writing a superhero team, and the reason why it didn't feel necessarily great is because Japan does not necessarily write a whole lot of superhero teams in anime that aren't, like, Monster of the Week sketch bullshit. And, but, turning back to Tony, Tony, which I, the the best, um, what's his face, the best, um, Jeff Bridges. Impersonation I can do of him is of him saying, "Tony built this in a cave." <laughs> um, but. Tony's, like I said, Tony Stark's, like, emotional journey forward into becoming, like, a non-stunted human (laughs) is very specific, and they make a point of every time they focused on Iron Man, at first in the... in his own movies, but then in the greater tapestry of, like, Avengers movies, they were focusing on him as, like, and his emotional growth, that to have this, like, oh, I went on a business trip for the Avengers to Japan because pretext, and then I, like, had a big flirtatious thing with a reporter who would leave me alone and, like, bought this other evil robot suit. It just doesn't, it doesn't super work and and they and i if i remember the release the way they released this correctly they actually released like a film and then a long drawn out like series version i think with like 12 episodes or something maybe actually 11 episodes if i my brain can do that but it was like it felt less like they were so you know the problem with superhero, with superhero stuff is... And the problem with superhero stuff and the thing that, um, cleverly enough, DC has figured out a way around is you have to see the superhero without the mask. Because the, people need to know that Ben Affleck is Batman... How are they going to know if he's Batman if they don't see him in the Batman suit without the Batman hood on? So they can be like, Batman suit? Ben Affleck. And link those two in their head. Um, That's why oftentimes you see the Marvel superheroes just fighting without masks. Just like, very clearly just being like, we out here. Because they want to link the star to the property, and that helps both, um, DC figured out a great way around this by doing those, like, only eye masks, so you get all the other parts of the face and you can just fill in the fucking eyes all you want, and they used to do, like, the white in the eyes, but more recently, it's just, like, no, this is just black and then eyeball, which, um, if you've seen the event, the, um, I just finished watching it on DC Universe because I'm a degenerate and need stuff to do in this hell world of COVID and lockdowns. Um if you've ever seen DC's Titan, DC Universe's Titans original thing, um, by the end of that they just have like IMAX and they're like, This is This is this actor. Don't ask questions, she's just here now. And also, the way they get around the Batman issue is they just have Bruce Wayne. They don't have fucking Batman. Bruce Wayne's a character in that thing. You never see goddamn Batman, which is kind of the best. But the thing with Iron Man is in a good Iron Man thing, both Iron Man and Tony Stark are really interesting. Um, but, and the the creators are interested in both showing Iron Man and showing Tony Stark. Oh, or showing how Tony Stark uses the persona of Iron Man. I, Red Detective War kind of does that, but it doesn't, it feels like it's treading water. It feels... It feels the way, <laughs> I, like the Iron Man Marvel thing feels the way Shonen Jump movies feel. It feels like they said, okay, you can have a thing here. We, we're going to license you this property and you're going to make something, but you can't go, you can't take, you can't surpass these certain story elements ever. So what you end up being left with is this space where it doesn't achieve what the best Iron Man stuff achieves. It does, because it kind of necessarily can't. You can't, you can't, you can't turn around in a Marvel movie and say, don't forget that growth you made in that, like, 2010 thing we did that one time, Mr. Downey Jr., like, you just, you can't do that because it's a really hard continuity thing. And it, it's bizarre to bring, like, the reporter character or the the reporter or other character from that show into, like, the live-action thing because it just, it feels weird. And that's kind of the, that's the problem with, these it was a, it was a little bit the problem with the um, Batman ninja stuff too is that because these because these things are licensed out they can't really do the dramatic thing that Marvel can do and just say but only for this one movie this is just an it's just an isolated episodic adventure Uh, But we can do all of this cool stuff because we're Marvel. We don't need to ask if this is okay continuity-wise. We'll just worry about that fucking later. And if I had to guess, I'd say that the thing with doing the like Gwen Stacy manga, like Americanized manga volumes, was this attempt at like how do we how do we do a Marvel thing that won't fuck up all the other Marvel things? How do we capitalize on the anime manga coolness quotient but not but not sh- put any actual sacrifices on this altar right now. I'm like, oh come here Gwen Lie here. Don't... Just ignore that knife. And... It... This is... I I actually just... Started listening to them... Again, because they started back up. But... One of the... One of the cool things about podcasts that... Don't just explore fiction like mine does... But create fiction and I'm not launching into some other pitch, I promise. It sounds like that, though. Is that they create their own worlds and build their own characters, and they can do whatever they want with them. They can clearly draw draw inspiration from other things and incorporate those other things, but by creating a whole new universe, they can do... What needs to be done with the characters? It doesn't come off as this like Tony Stark from a couple from a couple times before we last saw him, and like you don't have to play you don't. So the Cowboy Bebop movie. I I know this is a fucking tangent, but this is what this is what I do on this thing. Um, the Cowboy Bebop movie came out after the end of Cowboy Bebop. Obviously, Cowboy Bebop ended. Year, at this point decades ago but the movie came out I think in the year like 2000 or something but it is and this happens oftentimes with anime properties and movies it is chronologically placed somewhere in the series it's a, like a specific it's specifically placed between two episodes I forget which two episodes but You get my point. And this happens a lot with anime because they want to tell lots of anime movies that aren't just recap movies want to tell a specific story but they want to tell it with the scenario that existed at a specific point in time. And the thing about The X Men Marvel thing lends us to it, that lends us to it, is we have tons of like weird fucking X Men storylines that last for one page, last for one page, last for one volume and they're gone, or last for half a volume and they're gone. The thing that they did with, um, uh, with with the Avengers and like Marvel pantheon of the Avengers, is that they create such continuity with those characters that it all links together. And trying to just stuff something in the middle has to be done really carefully. And the Iron Man anime just doesn't cut it. <laughs> it just does, It doesn't. It doesn't work out. And when I saw the like couple minute trailer that plays on Netflix for the Iron Man Armored Adventure it all that also feels that way it feels like so and possibly the one of the more ballsy moves that the current authors of Iron Man did is Tony Stark is no longer Iron Man He, I don't think he's necessarily fucking dead but he's no longer Iron Man and the current Iron Man is not a man. It's the Iron Maiden. And the Iron Maiden is... A 14-year-old black girl. And... the the, the Probably the best superhero to kind of pull this shit off... Is Green Lantern. Because Green Lantern is not like... It, a person is not Green Lantern. Green Lantern is not Bruce Wayne. Um, Green Lantern is... Whoever wears the fucking ring. And the fact that Iron Man, the Iron Man franchise, had decided we're just going to make this a black... We're just going to dump some black girl magic on this shit is the best. I cannot stress this enough. It is the best. Think about the ramifications here. If the trajectory is true... We will get a black female teenage Iron Man. And that is in live action as a movie. And that is incredible if it's not fucked up. I don't count on Disney to not fuck that up considering go look at this slate of Black Lives Matter like passing bullshit. It's it's not great. It's not. It's not great. Um but Green Lantern does that very well because like, you know one Green Lantern the white guy, another Green Lantern the black guy, and by doing that they get to like they get to have the episode where John, the current Green Lantern from um Justice League Unlimited, straight up goes to his old neighborhood, goes to a barbershop, and like Is an episode about, kind of about the experience of blackness and going back to that experience when you, once you have been, like, exposed to so much more of that, like, old neighborhood, so much more than that old neighborhood you came from. And it's a cool-ass fucking episode. They can only do because they came up with an amazing system of passing the persona of Green Lantern from person to person. The way they passed freaking Batman to another person, they just like, Bruce has a heart condition now. He can't wear the fucking suit, so this punk kid does. And he fucking guides, and he's just like earwig butler asshole. (laughs) And it's... That's also a, like, fun, dumb way to do it, but it is so much more, like, crusted in nonsense than just... It's this new... I pass in the ring. You picked up the ring next. Congratulations. You're Green Lantern now. And... And the reason I'm talking about this is because I think it's cool, but also because in a scenario where there can be no... up uh, where there's a clear progression of this character trying to go backwards and stick something in continuity that is as contrived and as... Odd as the Marvel anime Iron Man thing, it just doesn't. It. These seem like exp- the the Marvel anime stuff seems like experimentation. That if it had turned, that if it had been given more free reign, it would have been really cool. Like for say what you want about and I have believe me, about Batman Ninja, but they gave that a certain amount of free reign that allowed that to be like escalate to giant robot fights at the end, and that's just like banana that that thing goes full and logan and Login by the end of that movie, which is wild but and because Batman is more episodic, he just like, it's just like, oh, that was weird, and they move on. Um, but I do think I, I do think Iron Man and all this Marvel stuff can work as in like the anime realm. I think that there needs to be given more freedom to, it. like, more freedom needs to be given to this stuff to do it how they want. So I gave the perfect example of um, the Joker needed to be the bad guy in Batman Ninja. If they had just been allowed to, like, make whoever the fuck they wanted the bad guy in that thing, you would have had, like, a very, very cool thing in that movie. You would have had, like, Solomon Grundy being the bad guy. And it was a real and he was a real threat. He wasn't like it didn't feel like any minute now the Joker's just gonna fucking spring fist him out of frame and like pop in and smile and do jazz hands and he's the bad guy now, which is basically what happened in that movie towards the end. I think I think if Things like Iron Man and things like Avengers and things like Batman and whatever want to be successful in the broad scope of like as a property that is licensed out to um to to other creative people to make something with so like let's say I am the head of an animation studio and i Say I want I want to make an Iron Man thing. There should be very few. A. Those people should be sat down and say like, "Here's where we're at in the continuity. Here's where this character is currently at in like, in like the version of reality they occupy," and then they should be given a lot of free reign. And I don't see that happening with something like... I saw that happen in the Wolverine thing and more the X-Men thing, because they are so episodic, and... Those brands were a little trashed after X-Men, after X-3, and X-Men Origins Wolverine, although the other Wolverine movie was a lot better. one, hilariously enough, where he goes to Japan. Um, So, and that's it. That is, that was the advantage that the Iron Man, the original Iron Man 1 film had when it was made. Is that they had the original story of Iron Man, but not a whole lot of people knew it. Not a whole lot of people had seen it. And like, Everybody, people kind of remembered the old cartoon, but people definitely didn't remember, you know, the, the Vietnam War shit that, like, was, that was that thing. And by modernizing it and swapping the parts, almost, for, like, a more for the more modern conflict of the Middle East and all this other shit... They were able to make something that people really love, that I really love, and I don't think that the team that made Marvel anime, Iron Man stuff, was given the same opportunity. And I think that's a shame because I, I remember there being stuff I liked about it. I liked the look. I liked the tr- like there's certain core little touches they got right all throughout it. But it just doesn't add up to a super memorable or super affecting whole in a way that anything else does. And I think that... And the thing about the Batman thing is because it's such... The other thing is, is that if you're going to make a creative endeavor of a project... You better fucking go for it. Because if it's not gonna be the story that people remember, it will be the completely batshit, insane, cool character designs or the like treatment or, or the treatment of the world or something like that. And at the end of the day, the Marvel anime stuff, because it is so it is so what is this, but also anime, feels kind of like glossy paste. (laughs) And, like, I... I remember the way the Iron Man one looks and vaguely the way the X-Men one looks, but I will never forget freaking full samurai armor awesome fucking Batman. Or even Batman as a... Per- as a Peruvian monk with the bat thimble carved in his hair and his like monk bald spot, in <laughs> so especially with Tony Stark, somebody who is a a wealthy billionaire who is very flamboyant, there was so much opportunity. To make the thing make the thing dripping with style, and it felt like it just didn't take it. So I mean, th- that's kind of my thoughts on Marvel anime, especially the Marvel anime. I keep saying it that stupid way because that's the way it is written whenever I see it. The Mar- Marvel anime Iron Man take on it, and if and on that note. If you like this episode, you can subscribe in whatever you're using to listen to me right now. Um, if that is iTunes, if you could please go give the podcast a review. That really helps the show, and you will find new episodes in the feed every thir- late Thursday night, early Saturday more early Friday morning, and every. Sunday morning at ten at ten a.m. and the, and this episode is usually a focus on a series a or a property in anime. Um, the Sunday episodes, if you haven't heard them before, I encourage you to go listen to any of them. I'm really proud of all of them, but they are more industry focused, more meta narrative focused, like things about the anime world and industry, which I started doing basically because I wanted an extra thing to be able to record in the pandemic and, like, give people relief. So definitely go check those out. But until Sunday, I've been Alex. You've been listening to Lunchbox Radio. And I'll talk to you then.